This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Second hour of the program. Welcome back. Kelly McDonald here in London, Ontario. And Brock in Kitchener, Ontario, at my home studio. And I am wearing a blue golf shirt with a little bit of white and black. And in my background is a bunch of sports memorabilia, different variety. Hey, uh, I'm Kelly McDonald, as mentioned, and I like, today have a, uh, a shirt on, three button, a jean jacket, the normal fedora on top of the head. I'm a black gentleman. And in behind me, I've got the CN Tower over my left shoulder, the skyline of Toronto, kind of a hazy day it shows. And off to my right, one of our columns that uh, is just on the, uh, on the side here. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, as we progress through our second hour of the show, on Thursdays now, we get a chance to start it by talking a little food as our food segment begins with Mary Mamaliti from KitchenConfession.com. And today, we're talking about Valentine's food. If you're like me, the kitchen is your favorite room in the house. I'm Mary Mamaliti, here with a handful of goodies from my kitchen, including food trends, cooking tips, and of course, some delicious recipes. Keeping busy, Mayor? Lots going on? Always, always keeping busy, Cal. Okay, that's <laughs> what we like to hear. Well, I, I mean, I like to hear you guys talk about it while I'm taking it easy. Tired, she's so busy. Uh, <laughs> Mayor, Isn't we're that getting what we all jump. say? We're all so that's busy. I, we're all so busy, exactly. right? I like it, like, and I've gotten to that age where, like I say, I like hearing everybody else say, as long as I'm not too busy. It just gets <laughs> me so tired. Um, Mayor, we're going to get a jump start on Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day with today's chat. Mm-hmm. What if we just don't want to go out and maybe just send that special person in our life a little surprise? What do you recommend? Okay, so you all know, and you know, Kels, as much as everyone else that I love food. So one of my favorite ways to show someone that I care or I'm thinking of them is through food. So here's a list of, you know, some of my, I just want to say giftable treats uh, for this coming heart day celebration. Okay. I want to start with one of my favorites, which is Mildred's Temple Kitchen. They have a pancake essentials gift set. So if you're unfamiliar Mm. with Mildred's, they've got like these sky high fluffy blueberry pancakes, Um, They've got blueberry compote on them. They are just so good. Mm. So this actually, this stack of pancakes is what made this brunch spot so famous over 20 years now. Um, So you can now make these at home, which I love. And um, so the kit includes pancake dry mix. So their mix, organic maple syrup, and their wild blueberry compote, which is delicious. And you can put it on anything. So good, guys. Wow. You know, Mayor, what I want to say about this list, too, is these are your thoughts of things people can share, do, and make that person, as you say, send that message. Hey, I'm thinking of you. Hey, I love you because, right from my tummy to you, um, they're not necessarily all reflective of things that are, are, are just available at this time of the year, obviously. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, food Beautiful. is love. Yeah. Right? So uh, this is this is my one of my favorite seasons, even though, and I know I've said in the past, I don't celebrate it as much because my birthday is the day before. So really, oh. I celebrate my birthday and then it kind of you know, fl- floods over into uh, Valentine's Day. But that, that takes said, precedence, the birthday. That's what Brock over there right? is saying. That's right. That's the right way to yes. do it. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> I totally agree. 
I have Next to have that there. little piece of cake or cupcake or something with a candle to blow it out on my birthday. Yeah, and while, while I'm at it, I'll take those pancakes if someone wants to send them, right? <laughs> <laughs> Next, we've got Purdy's Chocolatier. So Purdy's, we all know and love. They yeah. have many options. Um, they vary in price. They vary in size. But the one that stands out to me the most, it's a little nostalgic. It's the Milk Chocolate Heart gift box. So it's got oh, 28 yeah. pieces of chocolate. It's this red heart-shaped box, and it's got this beautiful little bow on it. And it's filled with their assortment of some of their most popular chocolates. So the reason why this one stands out to me is because this reminds me of a chocolate-filled heart that I actually gifted my mom when I was young. I saved oh, no. up my money. I have to share the story because I saved my money, which really wasn't my money. Every time they would send my parents would send me to the grocery store to pick up something or the corner store, I would keep the change. So I <laughs> took that change, I saved it up and bought my mom this heart. So that's why that's you bought yourself, you know, mom, right from the heart. Right Your from own the heart. heart. <laughs> <laughs> Everything you give box, us comes so back sweet. to you, mom. <laughs> that is beautiful. Oh, <laughs> see, that's really nice. That's really nice. Next, we've got oil and uh, oil, olive oil and figs. So they've got these grazing and charcuterie boxes. They've got several to choose from, but the one that sparked my interest was you, me, and Brie charcuterie box. It serves oh. two. So it includes a whole bunch of specialty items, cheeses, cured meats, olives, figs if in season or fig jam, some dried fruits, nuts, a whole bunch of stuff, some honeycomb, which is delicious, and a bottle of wine or Prosecco. You can add to the, the package. Love and it. One oh my of my favorites, gosh. I need to add this in because I did order this and I will let you guys know how it goes. Dylan's Small Batch Distillery. They have this perfect um, cocktail kit, which is called Sweet Valentine. And you can ship it. It comes to your home. You get like the dry gin, unfiltered gin, uh, some of their Dylan's Niagara grenadine syrup, rhubarb bitters, dehydrated raspberries, and a recipe card. So you can toast and sip. That is wonderful. Love it. Mary, what if you want to have a quiet dinner at home or host Valentine's dinner? Any quick meal or dessert ideas you can give us? Okay, two come to mind immediately. Williams-Sonoma has this gooey brown butter bundt cake mix, and they've got this cute little heart-shaped pan. So all you do is mix it up, add a few wet ingredients, pour it into the pan, bake it up, golden. Or you can make braised beef ragu, or as I say, sugo di carne, and it's a slow cooker beef ragu. It's great make-ahead recipe. And then it gives you this shredded beef mixed with um, sofrito, which is carrots, celery, onions, tomato, cooked low and slow. And it's got this, it produces this beautiful tender beef savory sauce. So good. So that, you can make that um, quickly. I'll give you a quick ingredient. So you'll have, uh, you can get, olive oil, some chuck roast, cut that into cubes, onion, carrots, celery, which is the sofrito I was talking about, red wine, beef stock, crushed tomatoes. There's a whole slew of uh, herbs here that you can choose from. Add them in, leave them out if you don't like it. And pepper flakes. I love it. One of my secret ingredients, parmigiano Reggiano, not so secret. A lot of people do, but I'd like to remind you, if you don't have those parmigiano rinds, cut a piece of parmigiano. Fresh Parmigiano, mm. throw it in, and it cooks up in that sauce. And a tablespoon of butter right at the end because it gives it this little silky finish. Throw Brown your chuck roast, salt it, brown your vegetables, toss everything into the pot, put the lid on, cook it on, I want to say high this time. So you cook it on high for five to six hours. High on a slow cooker really isn't high, 
but five to six hours, and then the beef will easily shred apart using two forks, remove the bay leaves, pour it with over some oh. cooked pasta of your choice. Delicious. Okay. My gosh. Oh man. Talk about just and this is what I've always used to hate, Mary, about any cooking programs, because as soon as you start hearing everything, and then you put the your mouth starts to water and you really get lots of, of thought and when you talk, meat falling yeah. off. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. I was drooling during just reading that. Just just remembering the whole <laughs> recipe. I'm already drooling. Oh, oh man. So Anything else there, Mayor, that we want to cover off there before I start asking you about yeah. the, the podcast? Well, I, I was going to talk a little bit about the podcast because we have a few episodes that are up. Awesome. And okay, one of the most that, recent then. episodes, episode 130, which is Track and Field with Paralympian Dave, David Johnson. So what was fun about this episode is we got to talk a lot about Dave um, and how he views food so to him food is fuel the runner shares how he grew up with he's got retitis pigmentosa and how that led him to compete for team canada so he now and how he manages his type 1 diabetes and how he manages that with healthy home cooked meals and keep him in peak shape for track and how he manages that when he travels so a lot of interesting information he gave us there it was just a lot of fun to talk to that's one. We had David on the show the other day, and uh, you know, it's, Did it's you? yeah, you know, talk about that. The you know, his his, his fitness, his his endeavors, his uh, working on the documentary. Um, Mary, I think that's one of the things. Since we have a sec, that I really want to point out with your podcast, and I know you and Matt get into your discussions on on there as well, and kind of mm-hmm. recap a lot of stuff, but. It must be what a, an adventure for you when you bring guests on. And I'm sure when people hear you say, oh, I had, you know, David on the show, but but he's an athlete. And we know fuel, yeah, yeah. the food is fuel. We know all that. Every athlete will tell you the importance. Every coach will tell you the importance. But it's the expanding that you're able to do with everyone as you do your research. And that, that fills out the show in your own style. That, that's got to be fedoras off and credit to you. Thank you. And you know what's what's fun to hear is because even though I, I've interviewed a few athletes and they all view food differently, which is really interesting. In the end, yes, food is fuel, but how they get mm-hmm. there is really interesting to me. So it's a lot of fun. And I learned so much with every single guest that I get to speak with. It's just they share so much information. And I love when they play the games because they really open up. You get to know them a lot better. <laughs> and I'm sure people really enjoy that part of it, too. Um, do you want to also talk a little bit about recipes and stuff people can find while we have some time here over there at kitchenconfession.com? Oh, absolutely. Let's talk about um, some of the recipes that I'm working on now. Oh, air fryer, Kels. Have you guys, have both of you tried an air fryer yet? Yep. Or anything air fried? Yeah, I haven't done a lot with mine, but I have one. Okay. So recently I discovered air fryer salmon. Oh, boy. Uh, So I held off a little bit on this. I waited and waited because I thought, really, air fryer salmon, it's going to be all dry. It is not. (laughs) I just posted a recipe on air fryer salmon and how quickly it comes together and how delicious it is. Wow. It's so juicy. I've been hearing a lot, too, about doing steaks, putting them in uh, Ziplocs, mm-hmm. putting them in the water. And if you have, like, a smart lid mm-hmm. unit that does multiple things and how Sous-vide, it, it, yeah. Yeah, it really becomes quite 
I was making, you know, I was baiting you to say the word so I wouldn't have to. But yeah, uh, you know, it really comes out <laughs> wonderful. Uh, Mary, I wonderful you, people. People, you can find the Kitchen Confession podcast using your favorite podcatcher. See you next Thursday. See you next Thursday. Thanks. Really great stuff. And uh, Mary's got the podcast there for you to check out. Go to the site, see what the recipes she's got up there that you may stop and say, never thought of that. She'll be back also on the program next Thursday. Coming up next, Hands of Fire is a group of blind and partially sighted sculptors in Toronto. We're going to learn about their recent endeavors with Vice President Douglas Free. That's ahead on the program. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Hark! I hear, I feel a sense of urgency, ladies and gentlemen. The countdown is on to enter the Dream Big Contest. The contest closes one week away, February 8th. So enter now for a chance to win a Tempur-Pro Adapt Mattress. Tempur-Pedic mattresses are designed with one-of-a-kind Tempur-Pedic material to precisely adapt to your weight, shape, and temperature, offering unmatched comfort and support. So for those rules and your opportunity to enter, go to ami.ca slash krcontest, folks. Got to do it before February 8th. Get in on this while you get an opportunity to do so. Kelly McDonald here. Welcome back to Kelly and Rumya with Brock Richardson filling in for Rumya. You know, Kelly, one of the great things about uh, this program is you get to learn about so many different opportunities and things that are out there for uh, the community. And we get to do that now with Hands of Fire, who's a group of blind and partially sighted sculptors in Toronto. Though the group took a break during the pandemic, they are back and making art once again. We welcome Douglas Free, president of Hands of Fire, to learn more. Douglas, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. Hey there. Uh, vice president, by the way, sorry. <laughs> sorry, my mistake, my mistake, vice president. No problem. Um, can we start by talking about how you got involved with Hands of Fire? Oh, uh. Well, it, Hands of Fire started in uh, 2013, and I think I was about 16 years old. Um, uh, I was doing my high school volunteer hours. Uh, I've like been an artist forever, so I, you know, decided that this would seem like a good opportunity for me, and like learn some new things, learn how to interact with people with uh, various uh, visual impairments. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Now, you've talked about yourself as being an artist for forever. What did you start out with and how old How old were you? Oh, I've been like playing in mud and clay <laughs> since I was like eight years old. Uh, you know, doing sketching and stuff. Like my folks are really artistic. Like my dad's a musician. My mom's like kind of writer. My sister is a painter. So kind of just runs in the family. Nice. Love it. And what kind of sculpting does the group focus on ah uh, it's like whatever people want to come in and do like i encourage any kind of project uh you know when i'm sitting in the room and uh talking to like the members like i encourage them to come with me with literally anything and i will try and make i will make sure that they're able to make it you know 
I think that's amazing. And when you talk about the group, Doug, we're, and, and you said one of the reasons getting involved in it, yeah, nice to, you know, kind of look at it and say, hey, yeah, something I can do as part of co-op and, and get involved as a volunteer and stuff like that to do things. Then you catch right on to the diversity of people. And we've heard in the past those conversations that are happening while people are working, but also, which is all wonderful social things we can we can comment on, but it's what people each, as you said, you had a family you come from with all sorts of artists. And so many of the people at Hands of Fire have that passion in one way or another, of course, or they wouldn't be there to, to be artists. Um, I bet one of the coolest things is when someone says to you, I want to make this or I want to do that. Or can you guys help me craft this particular item, this ashtray, whatever it might be, or, or, mm -hmm. or that that's got to be the research to find what somebody wants to do and going through that experience to, to final product. I would say, in my opinion, that's one of the biggest takeaways. What, what's your thoughts on the biggest takeaways being a part of an, a group like this? Well, I think some of my biggest takeaways is like, you can't let, you know, any kind of circumstance keep you from being creative. Like a lot of people who uh, were a part of the group uh, before they became blind or visually impaired, they were artists. You know, um, right. we had some interior designers. We had a, recently a woman who used to be a leather worker um you know who could no longer you know create in that medium right but like you know sculpture and clay is such a tactile art you know i think it fits perfectly with the skill set that people learn when they become visually impaired or blind it just kind of fits does it because of those who have had the past doing whether it's interior design whether it's you know any kind of design which is you know something a lot more visual pick up in your mind what you want to do and then transcribe it in some form and then move on to creating versus somebody who, like you say, worked, worked with leather and create. Have you noticed the differences? As we say, everybody has a different way of doing things, but anything that's connected where you say, yeah, they come from more of that, but that translates to this way as they work with their hands. Anything that's interesting? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, you know, so people who used to be painters, Everybody has a very distinct style when when they sculpt, uh, and they everybody approaches it so differently. Um, and and really, my job is to adapt to the way that they work. Uh, sometimes, you know, people who have done sculpture before, um, they really understand form very well, and it's easy to like you know do the little techniques that um, that they used to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but somebody who is a painter. You have to approach it so much differently. Uh, really get back to the basics. Really learning like everything is made of simple shapes, right. and wow. so you know once you teach that, people take off and they can make incredible things. Does it yeah, get I frustrating? Think... Yeah, sorry, Brock. <laughs> I'm just curious. Does it for them? Do you think when they've come from being a certain kind of artist or work in a certain medium. Now they're doing the sculpture and they want to get back to doing something with their hands or their creativity. Do you ever find you can tell they're just like, how do I adapt this? How do I think differently? Yeah, I'd say there is a bit of frustration at the beginning of any kind of new skill that you're learning. Um, right. It just comes with practice. And like, obviously, like, I get frustrated when I'm doing, I hate painting. You cannot get me to paint, um, and I will never love painting. Uh, but once people start getting into it, making the things that they want to make, like they really get over that hump of frustration. 
and start getting into the flow, get very focused, I find. You must have people that uh, come to you that say, oh, you know, I don't think I can do this. Uh, just quickly, if you could, uh, what's the reaction when you see someone succeed in doing what they're doing, even though they may not have thought, hey, I don't think I can do this? We get a lot of people like that. We get a lot of people who are like, oh, you know, I'm not really an artist, um, but I just want to come try. And I think that's so encouraging and it's so brave for somebody to come in and just jump into a like work like this. Um, yeah, <laughs> there is like a really big sense of accomplishment after they make yeah. something that they visualized or like in their head uh, or making a gift for somebody and it comes out really nice. And yeah, just like I, I see a lot of people get really hooked on it. Of course. And can you talk a little bit about whether there's coaching available for the artists? Yeah. Um, like myself, I, I whenever uh, somebody comes with a project that they need help with, like we all sit around a, a large table. There's at least two artists in the room at a time. Uh, we sit with everybody for at least five minutes of class and to really get people started and get through any kind of difficulties. Like we're there the entire time and uh, for any kind of coaching. For the beginners mm -hmm. and that fear that some of them have, how do you guys help them through that? Yeah. Um, like I said earlier, like any kind of somebody coming in, learning a new skill, it takes a lot of bravery. Yeah. And I think we just try and make everybody really comfortable and especially like the other members, they are really encouraging. There's a big sense of community there. And um, sometimes like other members come and jump in and try and like teach little techniques that they've learned too to help um, people along. So yeah, it's just, it's just, I think getting over that initial worry is just immersing yourself in the community that we build in the room. Right. I mean, you, you spoke about it a bit earlier. I, I did sculpting at camp, you know, when I was a kid. And the thing that I loved is even though I ne not necessarily could see the, the physical end product or even as it's being done, for me, it was the feel of like, oh, as I'm doing this, this is the change of of feel for this and that. And it's such a process. And I, and I really... Uh, echo the sentiments of you saying it's very tactile because I agree and it, and it almost can be you know very therapeutic as well oh absolutely uh you know I'm a big proponent uh big ugh, sorry I'm a big advocate for art therapy in general it's something that I want to pursue in the future uh and I think this is just like you know a very unofficial step towards that um yeah I think art can be healing in all forms mm-hmm so if we come to a meeting, settle down around the table, uh, what should someone expect and and know how frequent you guys are meeting? What's now in this different time post-pandemic? Uh, anything change? Yes. So there have been a lot of big changes uh, since the pandemic. We have moved locations. We originally were at the uh, large CNIB building. We've now moved to Akin Studios at 200 Queens Quay. Um, or Queen's Q. I'm not really sure how to pronounce Queen's that. Key. Queen's Key. Yeah, Queen's yeah. Key. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. 
Um, but yeah, we're in a bit of a, a smaller space, but it is an official studio. So that's kind of interesting. Like we're in a real studio space now, kind of feeling a little bit more official. Um, we are, we're keeping our, the same hours that we used to every Saturday, 12 to three, you know, and what to expect, you know, just a lot of eager artists looking to see what you create. It's uh, it's it's really good to hear. I'm just curious, with a small group, is there a limit to people you would take? Um, we try to keep our classes about like ten per weekend. You know, like it is a bit of a smaller space than we're used to, unfortunately. Um, but we usually do if if we fill up one week, we do alternating weekends. Um, and if there's any openings, we send out a newsletter. Hey, there's some seats open. If you want to drop in, it, it's all a drop in class. Yeah. Yeah. That's very nice. Where can we go get more information? Uh, we can go on our Facebook page, Hands of Fire. Um, there's a website, Hands of Fire. Um, dot CA. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's it. <laughs> so now I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the coolest things that you've seen that people have made oh. in your time there? Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's so much amazing pieces. Um, I bet. <laughs> Ian white, uh, was one of our first members who came, he made a bronze. It was pretty amazing. It was this, uh, male torso and he made another one of a man, uh, doing a, a handstand with it. One arm. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> um, I think we saw a picture of um, one of our members who passed away uh, uh, about a year or two ago, Elisa Locke. She made uh, two a couple in, in uh, bathtubs, <laughs> like drinking beers. It was just very funny and um, beautifully done. Oh, there's so many, so many. Wow. A, a lot of people do beautiful work it's really hard to narrow down my favorites well and i know we won't we don't want you to play favorites but i thought yeah. i'll put them on the spot and just get a few things named because i think people out there listening thinking of doing it or or who are artists of their own right are saying yeah i might want to do this but i wonder how far i can go in it and you know when you know it's a drop in and but if you're someone that's going all the time you want to be able to do what you want and i think that you guys doing that support and helping is just tremendous to get people there when they come up with their idea fantastic thank you yeah <laughs> it's just so much fun and douglas you uh made me relive my childhood having this conversation because i really loved sculpting and and pottering Playing in the mud kids so i mean <laughs> i loved making a mess and getting it up to my elbows and all that so really appreciate it douglas thank you so much well thank you and i hope to see you come by sometime <laughs> i very well might we were joined by douglas free vice president of hands of fire for blind and low vision sculptors group in toronto yeah, I find it tremendous, always something that I've enjoyed in my time and messing around with the old potter's wheel and everything like that. In a moment, ladies and gentlemen, the roundtable begins. We're going to be joined by Greg David, uh, communication specialist here at AMI. And you know how we do it. We chat, we hear a little audio and discuss next coming up on the roundtable. It's fun, insightful and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. 
wherever you are around the world checking us out, maybe through AMI-audio or at your desktop. Appreciate it, folks. Your time catching us when we're live or one of the repeats of the show, 10 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv and AMI-audio. And, of course, 6 a.m. in the morning on AMI-audio. You can find repeats of the program or simply listen to the podcast. Brock Richardson says, as he joins me here on the program, this is one of his favorite segments of the week, especially if he's uh, just a guest settling back today. We're making him work to be a part of it. But the one who doesn't have to work, our guest today, well, we'll introduce you to our guest. After this, it's time for the roundtable. Isn't it convenient that we have a roundtable? Well, it's actually oval. Just say it. The blind guy feels it now. goes, (laughs) well, I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. So we do this every Thursday. I'm the host of the roundtable where I select a few things to talk about. It's an open conversation on a variety of uh, subjects, handpicked by my by, by yours truly. Today, our guest over there, Greg David, joining us, a communication specialist here at AMI. Greg, welcome back. Thanks for having me. I love your jacket, Kelly. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You'll have to fight Andy Frank for it. He, okay. He likes Has it got a back too. patch on it? No. No back patch. Okay. I, no, right. and I'm not going to spin around and show... <laughs> I, I'll get myself caught up into too much trouble, wires, everything like <laughs> wires, that. Wires, yeah. You know, the screen behind me, everything, you know, and then then you'll know as I'm slumped over. Uh, thanks, though. He, uh, he wore that one on a remote that we were doing. I just checked out what Kelly was wearing because I didn't see it. He wore that one on a remote we were doing in London, Ontario, and I wanted to, like, literally steal it off his back. Just like, <laughs> it's mine. I want it. It's mine. Because it is. It's so nice. I love it. Yeah. It's the... Uh, it's it's very flashy. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, Greg, yesterday, and I'm going to hit the heart of one of the things that I know you've done a lot of promotion for, um, and I'm really kind of curious, your life experience on this. We heard from Brock yesterday. Uh, Alicia uh, was with us on the program, Alicia Yardley, yesterday, talking a little bit about our apprenticeship program here at AMI. Uh, Brock really talked about going to broadcast school, getting opportunity and advisement that he's been given when it comes to getting involved and feeling very fortunate, of course, to be with us here at AMI. I've always thought it pretty tremendous for people to get the opportunity to work anywhere, you know, and again, I think for me, it comes from a place of when I was in college trying to figure out that volunteer piece where I could go Mm -hmm. as a low vision person be accepted and get an opportunity. And and the opportunity really didn't rear its head for me because of some of the limitations and the programs that were out there to try to get one started, um, those with disabilities, we, we've all heard of, we all, all have experienced, any of us out there trying to do anything, it seems, in the disability world. So I'm kind of curious as I see the importance of, and having so many people talk to me about uh, volunteering with AMI and, and, and so on and so on. So I'm kind of curious as we get into this conversation about your experience going out, uh, were you ever apprenticed for anything? And you've done a variety of different things in that that bring you here now to AMI. But in your schooling, education, how important was co-op and so on to you? Yeah, it was really important. I took a two-year print journalism program at Sheridan College back in the late 80s. And uh, and part of the, the second year of the studies was to do an internship. Uh, and so I did that at the Brantford Expositor. And oh, it was boy. really helpful. Yeah, it was really helpful to me because it's one thing to write to a deadline in a classroom scenario. But when you actually go and do an interview with the editor of the newspaper, the Brantford Expositor, because I'm originally from Brantford, so I figured, okay, let's do the internship at 
in in the town where I grew up because I could live for free at my parents' house and uh, and then get the experience at the expositor. So to sit in there and have an interview with the editor of the newspaper and have him say, yeah, okay, we'll take you on for a six-month period of time. Um, it was invaluable to me because they dropped me right into that ed- editor's – the editorial room, and I was going out and writing stories. Uh, you know, I went to a mall, the, uh, the Linden Park Mall, and did a story on a science fair that some kids were having. There was a gentleman that was retiring from the parks and rec- uh, parks uh, parks and recreation, so he he designed some of the parks around Brantford and 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 took care of them. So I interviewed him and, and his career. But the most interesting story, and I kind of I still think about this today because I turned down the story, is that there was a there was an incident in Port Dover where two fishing boats had collided, and uh, and a couple of sailors were lost, and the uh, editor, the newsroom editor at the time, and another reporter were both going to the scene and they asked me if I wanted to go and I said no and looking back on that I wish I had gone because it would have given me some of that real world experience I'm not necessarily interviewing uh, family members because I think that would have been above me at the time and too much for me to handle but um, you know I always think well I should have gone because it could have given me some experience of actually being on the scene of something like that that had happened and it was a big news story but overall yeah I, I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't have that six months at the Brantford Expositor to really help me figure out if I even wanted to do journalism in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. In a real world environment. So shoulda, coulda, woulda, uh, I'll ask yeah. both of you this. If you were working with an apprentice today, that shoulda, that coulda, woulda, should I have gone there? Or just any experience from that, how does that, Greg, I'll let you think about it for a sec. Brock, if you're in that situation with your experience and what you've gone through, because you had a whole day really to think about this if you'd known the question. Mm-hmm. At least you would have if you'd known <laughs> right. the question. But the fact is, how does that help you, Brock, when somebody now says, Brock, we're bringing on an apprentice, get to work with them? Um, I would say uh, listen to the people that are under you, uh, working with you, because they know the business. The worst thing you can do is come in and act as though you know everything, come out of mm. school. And I mean, I, I said it yesterday. I was caught, you know, before I had my interview with Bob McGowan. I really thought that I was, you know, Mr. Somebody. And then, you know, as I mentioned yesterday, Bob McGowan said, hey, hey, wait a second. If you're going to come here, you're going to pour my coffee. And so for me, it's <laughs> listen to those people that really know what they're what they're talking about because that could save you a little bit of that moment where somebody you know slaps you down the ladder and says hey hey check yourself like (laughs) where do you think you're going here and and that would be my my advice to somebody yeah some people go on that tough well i gotta have that exterior i've got to be gruff with this person i should have made greg go and report over there in port dover (laughs) greg where do you feel yeah, I, I had to chuckle while Brock was talking about that because, uh, you know, we have an active internship and apprenticeship program here at AMI, as you said, Kelly, and we're actually going to be welcoming uh, an intern uh, in the in the coming weeks, another one. Um, and yeah, I think attitude is everything. And I think sometimes, you know, if a, a student, regardless of their age, comes in, uh, there is that danger that there's going to be a little bit of an attitude. And I feel as though, unfortunately, there is a little bit of an attitude anyway, especially now that people have are empowered by social media, that they think that they can come mm-hmm. in and that they know more than the person that's actually in, you know in the position mm-hmm. so yeah listening is is huge and being open to uh you know being given maybe a grunt job that you necessarily uh you know don't want to do i mean uh, here at ami in the marketing and communications department we 
you want to come in and you want to get experience, we're going to give it to you. So, uh, you know, intern apprentice, apprentices and interns are, you know, they're posting on our website. They're taking part in social media. They're in pitch meetings with us. They're writing press releases for me. It's very, very hands-on because like I said, you know, when I was going to Sheridan, it was all hands-on and you can only learn by actually doing it. So yeah. if you want to be an intern or apprentice at, in the Marcom department, you're, you're going to be working hard uh, to give you that real world, world experience. And I know Kelly, it's the same on the audio team, right? When you have interns, I mean, heck, Ramya is a perfect example of an intern that came in and now she's the co-host of the show. So I really like what AMI does and their attitude is if we're having a student come in and they're going to be learning things and they're going to be doing it by by hands-on, getting down there in the trenches with everybody and learning how to do it. And I in my feel opinion for people with disabilities, and Brock, you can have the floor in a quick sec. Um, I feel that is the way, and, and Brock, maybe you'll agree, maybe not, but I find that as a person who needs to get his hands into things, I learn better that way. I want mm -hmm. the actual experience because, quite frankly, there's not enough opportunities out there for people with disabilities to get in there, get dirty. Brock? In my opinion, if you don't give somebody real experience, hands-on experience, and basically in a, in a polite way, you know, um, say sink or swim – Without letting them sink, of course, but mm. you're doing that. You're doing them a disservice by doing anything other than that, because then they go into the to their real job, and the person says, "Okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to do a press release," and and they look at you and go, "Huh? I yeah. don't know what I'm. I don't know what I'm doing." I mean, simple example. I I do when I record vanity cards for this program and the other iterations. I do a little bit of editing because then it makes it easier on the person on the back end. You know, maybe I set it up and there's a little bit of blank audio. I can get rid of that. And going through school and going and being able to do that and cutting audio, even while it's simple, is something that I can do to help somebody out and say, mm -hmm. here, take that extra three seconds and I did it for you. And here's the, here's the bulk of the information. I'm glad to hear that. Do tomorrow's vanity card, will you? Um, <laughs> let's move on, guys. Thank you kindly. And I'm hoping that inspires people to, you know, what we're talking about. But whatever world experience you, you have, especially with uh, co-op uh, apprenticing, I, I'm really proud because I had too many people. I had to say, well, at one point, we don't have anything for you years ago. So mm -hmm. I, I was a person that jumped greatly for joy when this came on board. The Canadian Nurses Association says recruiting nurses from other parts of the country will not heal the wounds of Canada's current nursing shortage. Association President Sylvain Brousseau says nurses need to see vast improvements or those moving to other provinces for work may find themselves wanting to leave those jobs too. It's not by going to poach nurses from one province to one province. It's by giving them better working conditions. He says nurses need better pay, fewer patients to be responsible for, and more support staff so they can care for the patients they have. Ivy Lynn Bourgeau, director of the Canadian Health Workforce Network, says Canada needs a national strategy for its healthcare workforce, and retaining the workers already in it is the first step towards solving the nursing shortage. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press. So, Brock, I've had some uh, recent health experiences where I had never been in a hospital before. Uh, about three years ago, I was. And I think you've had those experiences from a young lad growing up. Um, when you hear this stuff, your concerns, the things you've seen, what, what, what goes off in your mind? What goes off in my mind is that by bringing 
nurses in from other places. It is a um, Band-Aid solution. It's not a permanent solution. And I'll give you a quick example. When I was in hospital as a young child, it was uh, my mom and I who my mom was by my side for about a week. And uh, the nurses had no idea how to handle individuals in my situation. And I needed machinery to be moved. And it was fully on my mother to um, basically be my nurse. Yes, the nurse right. would, would would give the medication and the things that, but there was no such thing when I was this young as, oh, we'll bring in a PSW as I'm so blessed to have, you know, three and four wonderful human beings that take care of me in today's world. But back then it was all on my mother. And I remember feeling so guilty guys afterwards because I'm like, my mother's back is shot. Why? Because they didn't have any lifts. She had to literally lift me while I was a sick, sick child. Like it, these solutions are great for a temp, uh, temper fix, but not a temporary fix as I try to speak English. Um, but it's not a full on solution where you can say, this is a solution forever. And there, here's the plug and it will never happen again. Craig, we see that they're having the discussion of placing people not just in the field, but where the help is needed and not just the nursing, but maybe focusing at this and coming up with plans that may vary from Toronto to Ottawa, from, you know, rural Saskatchewan to rural Nova Scotia. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I was listening to, to Brock talk about, you know, his own situation and, and uh, you know, it, it, it is a band-aid solution. It's, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul um, because, yeah. you know, what the pandemic has taught us is really how tenuous it was in the medical field anyway. You know, Brock's talking about the situation that he had, you know, when he was a kid. So clearly things were tenuous back then. And, you know, it took the pandemic for it to go and, you know, to really show how bad the situation is. And I feel nothing but I have support and empathy for any frontline workers that, you know, had to deal with this over the past three years because, you know, all I had to do was stay away from people and stay home. You know, these folks were going to the front lines and, and, and trying to help people every day. And, man, they're burned out. They're stressed out. And I don't think moving them, you know, moving people from area to area to try and fix a problem is a solution. You need, you need to educate, but more importantly, you need to improve the working situation for all these people as well. I, I totally agree. I, I think there has to be such a look made into this and for these decisions to be made. We're hearing a lot and will. Guys, I want probably a fairly quick answer on this one, but I figured this might interest both of you. It's a growing trend out there going on holiday with your pet. And as Faith Abu <laughs> reports, a growing number of hotels are starting to uh, accept these four-legged guests. Kim Salerno is the CEO and founder of Trips with Pets, a website where you can book your hotel directly, choosing from more than 50,000 pet-friendly accommodations across the U.S. and Canada. These days, Salerno says hotels are more accepting of pets. With nearly 70% of American households having at least one pet, the demand is there. Hotel chains that allow pets include La Quinta, Motel 6, Red Roof Inn, and Kendallwood Suites. And just last year, some Hilton brands have opened their doors to furry travelers too. But before booking any pet-friendly hotel, it's important to check the pet policy, which can differ at each location. Faith Abube, ABC News, Washington. So, gentlemen, <laughs> um, Brock, well, I'm going to start with Greg because Brock has to think about his 1,200 uh, animals in the house. Uh, <laughs> Greg, what do you see with this? 
Well, you know, I started to laugh, and then I realized that this is a real-life situation for me. Yeah. Um, uh, my partner and I own a 13-year-old cat named Homer, and we're actually coming into Toronto uh, next week. And um, we were actually – she was considering staying home um, because she didn't like the idea of Homer being at home all at alone. Home. Even Yeah, yeah, even though he's fine, he'll sleep most of the time, which is what he does when we're around anyway. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, if the if – if the Pan Pacific in Toronto is hearing this story, if you could get the pet thing figured out by next Thursday, that would be awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Look, they've worked hard at accessibility of late, I've noticed. So, therefore, they'll be on board. That's for sure. Okay. No leaving Homer at home. Brock? Absolutely not. I can cause enough damage in my wheelchair. I do not need any one of my seven animals to cause any more damage than I already might do. Uh, no thanks. I have to worry about myself, let alone my animals. Can you imagine Brock towing them along behind his chair? <laughs> Away we go, Brock. Greg, as usual, thanks a lot. Thanks for pointing out to me that you could join us on the roundtable. We'll get you on here a little more often. Um, whatever meeting or whatever you were doing that was canceled at this time should never have been <laughs> scheduled at this time anyway. The roundtable, <laughs> thanks you know, for having the round me. Table. Thanks, Greg. Greg David joining us, of course, from our communications department. Always wonderful to have him on here talking and certainly not hear him in those quizzes over there with now at Dave Brown. Doesn't do as well, Brock. Man and I return shortly right here on the round table. It's Brock and Kelly. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Remember, folks, check out the podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. Maybe while you're in there, give us a rating and review. Just look for Kelly and Rumya. And if you were signed up to the Kelly and Company, of course, it already changed over. So, therefore, you're already on board. Brock, at this point in the program, we'd like to just take a quick look back and say, hey, maybe check this segment out or, or this particular one. Can you, can you pick one today you want to just remind people they may want to go listen to or re-listen to? Well, this one was one that uh, I enjoyed as we were doing it, and I knew this was going to be the highlighted one. And I got to go back to our bestie from the UK, Fernlal. I'm talking about the delivery of news, whether good or bad. And some people have better uh, ways of delivering good and bad news, and some people have better communication skills than others. And I think it's a it was a really fascinating conversation, and she brought us a lot of insight on that topic. So you should go back and check it out if you missed it. I always find it interesting with people's philosophies because you don't know, is it a doctor's philosophy? You know, brutal, harder, you know, it's something you have to accept. This is the way it is. I, I, you don't know if it's the awkwardness or years of delivering that kind of news and making a person feel, well, you know, I can't, I can't soften this anyway, so just say it, just spit it out. It's that follow-up of lack of performance, and that's what we spoke about. Uh, it brought up a lot of things in my mind, even down to the simplest thing of when I'm at a doctor's office, and they say, here, you know, come in, Mr. McDonald, and they walk away from me. You know, I'm a blind yeah. fella. I get up and open my cane. And you say, this is the medical field? And, and yeah, it's, I, as I, if I, it's as if I don't, they don't notice. To, to your point, I think today's day and age has changed where you can't be so sandpaper you can't be so rough around the edges and just oh this is no. what it is and and seem so heartless there has to be that human element where you say you know i've got some bad news but 
here's how we can we can manage it and i think that's important as well have to have the expectations put on people. We have to deliver when it comes to that. Uh, enjoyed the good buzz. We had some great conversation with Billy in the buzz today. And I also enjoyed Hands of Fire. I will say learning a lot from Douglas was really wonderful where they're at as they fire up. And if you're in that Toronto area, you, you want to take part. Uh, even if you're not, you're going to be there visiting. Yeah, stop in. Uh, let them know you're going to be around. And if they have a spot, you can get it on in and, and get your hands working and do some sculpting. So really interesting segments today. Fantastic show. Appreciate it. Speaking of fantastic shows, one coming up next on the networks uh, tomorrow. Now with Dave Brown, Paul Daniel joins us to tell us what's happening beginning at 9 a.m. in the morning. Hey, Kelly. On tomorrow's show, our Friday news panel convenes as Juwita Gupta from the Pulse, Michelle McQuig, journalist Michelle McQuig, and Dave Brown discuss some of the big issues of the week, including the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's decision to ask Congress for permission to regulate CBD products. Health Canada says CBD is already under strict regulation. The panel will consider why cannabis-infused products have become so widely available despite a lack of research, and then whether this is an unintended consequence of legislation that came into effect in 2018. Entertainment critic Mike McDilly will give a recap of the Primetime 2023 Entertainment Conference, sorry, Primetime 2023 Entertainment Conference that's wrapping up this week. And Greg David from the Markham Department will discuss the enormous success of the HBO series, Now on Crave, the Last of Us that's filmed in Alberta. Okay, thanks a lot, pal. Um, one of the things very interesting is when you talk about the availability and how wide. I think we jumped, f- you know, fully into those mm-hmm. e-cigarettes too, like that. Sure, big yeah. time, right? And yes, now yeah. backpedaling. Seems that way, yes. Yeah, appreciate it, man. We'll uh, we'll check out the show tomorrow on AMI TV. Thanks. Take care, Kelly. Paul Daniel joining us, one of the producers over there at Now at Day Brown. On in the morning, 9 a.m. here on AMI-TV. You can also find them available as a podcast. Our show, available as a podcast. And we're back on the air tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern on AMI-TV and on AMI-audio. Mr. Richardson, you'll be with me again tomorrow. I will, and I'm looking forward to it as always. Yeah, it's a lot of fun uh, today. Fantastic show. Good conversation. Grant Hardy, too, will join us. He's our reporter out in Vancouver. Tomorrow, he'll be here to give us some headlines, as he does on Wednesdays and Fridays on the show. Always look forward to some fantastic conversation with Grant Brock. Yes. Another portion where we'll see Grant Hardy is during Cut for Time, when we talk about things that we may not have had enough time to discuss Kelly mentioned the roundtable is one of my favorite segments. This is another. Well, I always look forward to what things you guys add when we get into those conversations, Bra. There's always so much to talk about as we look back at always a busy week right here at Kelly and Ramya and so much to reflect on. And, of course, our views because we got to shut up sometimes and let the guests (laughs) fill in the time. So it's our opportunity. So wonderful. Pal, thanks a lot. Excellent show. Thanks for being here with me. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure and looking forward to tomorrow. Have a good night. Take care, folks. I'm waving at you. Enjoy. With Ramya Away, it's been a very different experience, I will say, ladies and gentlemen, regarding our co-hosts. This is so new for them. Um, And I think if you wonder, how are they adapting? When we were rehearsing, we had hoped we would get the opportunity to bring them in and allow them to have a bit of time settling in, sit in the space in Toronto 
and get some experience. We hadn't been able to do that uh, with some of the technical stuff we've had going on and just everything like that as the show was getting launched. So they've been pressed into duty without uh, having that experience. So we, we'd prefer to have them in the studio space in Toronto than on, on Zoom working from home. Well, Danielle McLaughlin really wanted to jump in, and she enjoys coming in. So when she settled in first as our backup co-host, I think things went pretty well. Brock, I think things have gone pretty well. We did have technical issues that uh, had nothing to do necessarily with Brock being on the show other than um, you know the fact that both he and I were not at the office in Toronto. So people got a different look. I mean, more of the traditional look that the show was to have when we launched with Ramya at home and myself at home. Um, and at the moment, we aren't able to, to get that taken care of quite yet. We're, it's, it's being worked on and uh, things are happening. But what I really wanted to speak about wasn't so much that, but the newness of it for the backup co-hosts and what would be their problem coming to the table, getting used to things, meeting a bunch of different people, or hearing them in their ears. And I think some of that is it. I mean, as much as it's pretty straightforward when we're working on the show as to what's going on and the information they need in their ears they're getting, but it just becomes pretty overwhelming. And for contributors too, people who can see enough to see themselves on TV, um, a lot of time people... Uh, we're watching that later on, hopefully, as opposed to trying to see themselves through their computer monitor while trying to do their script and, and kind of playing. I remember in broadcast school, we used to be told, don't get so in love with your voice. Take your cup off, your, your headset cup off one ear so you're not screaming because you get into broadcasting and you hear yourself so you get louder. So they used to say, take one cup off so you're only hearing half of yourself, half of what's go- what is going out there. And you're not as inclined to use the big voice or speak louder. And I think we're learning all those different things since we're so new at the TV process, live TV process, that we have to really think about different things. And uh, as a blind person, I know I do a lot of thinking about what expression am I wearing now? (laughs) What are people seeing me doing? If I'm quickly checking an email, do I have a checking an email kind of dozed, glazed look? Anyway, it's fun, and thank you for being out there, those who are, well, really all of you, uh, having that opportunity to take the show in as we make this transformation, and hopefully for those listening in on our audio broadcast, we recognize sound is different, and there's some things that are not traditionally the old Kelly and Company sound, but we hope we're still bringing you the show that you love. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.